0: Welcome to STD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at ccoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Christmas is, um, it changes over time, but one of the things that we love most about Christmas is making Christmas memories. I have a new memory this Christmas. Uh, a few weeks ago, my dad, his. Car broke down, and so he had to put it in the shop. He has a a pickup truck, and something wrong with it. And so, for the next week or two, he has this old pickup truck, and you've probably seen it around here. It's a red pickup, it's a 1950s Ford, and he had to drive that around for a couple weeks. And so, my wife sent me this picture of a post that somebody made in one of the local, about the local forums here in Cyprus. And, and it said, I've recently seen someone driving around in a red pickup truck that looks like Santa Claus. Does anyone know who this is and if they were available for hire for some Christmas parties? I didn't rub it in at all, I didn't send it to him, I didn't let him know that he looked like Santa and that people were talking about him, but I thought that was funny. So um, Christmas says it's here, and one of the questions that we ask, no matter what age you are, but especially when you're young, is what? What is the same question we ask? What do you want for Christmas, right? What do you want for Christmas? And so that's the question, is what do you want for Christmas this year? And it's changed over time what you ask for for Christmas. I remember growing up, um, this was before the internet, is we would get the Sears catalog in the mail. And I would, for months, pour over that thing. I would circle what I want. I would write down, here is the page number. Here is where it is located. And here is the priority list I have as far as my presents go. Mother, please fulfill my request. And so I would go through and here's what I ask. And you probably had the same thing. You you ask for different things uh, as you get older throughout Christmas. But here's what I've come to realize, is that no matter what you're asking for for Christmas, you really want the same thing. You do. Whatever the present looks like, or whatever the event, or whatever the relationship, whatever you're asking for, you're really looking for the same thing. And if we go back to the beginning of the Christmas story, and this is kind of our launching point for the series, we go back to Luke, when the angel comes and announces the birth of Jesus, I think the angel identifies what you really want for Christmas, so let's look at it. Uh, Luke two ten says this. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Now that's what we talked about last week, is what is the good news? Well, the good news is that not only is Jesus being born, but who Jesus is. That he's the Messiah, he's the Savior. He is the creator coming back to reclaim his creation, that he is going to redeem and reconcile mankind to our, our creator. And so that's the good news. But here's what we really want for Christmas. That will cause great joy. Isn't that what you really want for Christmas, to be honest? That's what you're looking for. You're looking when you ask for these presents and you go to these parties and you participate in all these activities. That's what you want at the end of the day, is you want great joy. And so I want to look at a story in the New Testament that talks about how we can experience this great joy. It's some people who knew Jesus and eventually became um, the people who helped launch the church. And they experienced this great joy that was promised. So it takes place in the book of Acts. If you're not a Bible person, you don't know much about it. The book of Acts is right after the stories of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and ascension is the beginning of Acts. It's the launch of the church. And so we have the people who follow Jesus, His disciples. Those are the primary figures in the church, and so they, what they do is they go around and they begin talking about Jesus, who was crucified in that very city, how He resurrected and he really was the Messiah. And what's crazy is, not only did people listen, but thousands of people began to believe in Jesus, in the very spot which he was just crucified. The issue is the leaders at the time who led the crucifixion of Jesus, were not happy about this new movement. It made them look really bad because if this is the Messiah, they killed the Messiah. And the other is it threatened their power. And so they would continue to come after the disciples. They thought we're going to stop this movement by stopping its leaders. And this happened a few times, but I want to focus in on one. Here's what takes place in Acts Verse 5, it says, They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. So they're out, they're teaching, they're healing people. The Jewish leaders say, no, we can't let this happen. So they arrested and they put them in jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. And so they get thrown in the jail. They're thinking, you know what? Maybe a night in jail will change their mind about this whole Jesus thing. They go in there. An angel comes, lets them out. And what do they do immediately? They begin preaching about Jesus in the temple courts. So when the leaders arrive the next morning and they call for them, they find that the prison cell is empty. And not only is it empty, but these people are doing the very thing they just told them not to do is they continue to preach about Jesus. And so the elders, uh, the the religious leaders, they go and they send the temple guards to re-arrest them. The problem is, as they're preaching, the crowds start to gather around the disciples and they start to to believe what they're saying. And so they quietly re-arrest them and they bring them to the Sanhedrin. Here's what happens. It says, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. So this is like the, the, the re- religious leaders. To be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Now, I, I like this. Notice, they won't say Jesus' name. To teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to, do, to make us guilty of, not going to say his name, this man's blood. I think this shows how angry they are. And as a parent, maybe you can relate to this. Like, have you ever been so frustrated with your children, you look at your spouse and you go, your children right now are acting like a fool. I'm not going to claim them as my own. I'm not even going to identify them with a name currently. They are just your children. And that's kind of what they're doing. They're going, we're not even going to dignify his name. We're just going to say, this guy, this man, this person whom you keep teaching about that makes us look really bad, by the way. And so verse, uh, next verse, here's what they want to do. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. That kind of seems to be their M.O., is we don't like what we hear, we don't like what you're claiming, and so we're going to put you to death. But before they do this, one of the wiser of the bunch jumps in and says, hold on guys, time out. We've seen this before. This isn't the first religious movement, this isn't even the first people to claim that the Messiah has arrived, and you know what happened every other time there was a movement like this? It fizzled out eventually rome came in and they would squash the movement because it was causing too much chaos and and we don't even have to deal with it we don't have to get our hands dirty and so if we just let this thing play out rome is going to take care of it and in the eyes of our people we maintain control and respect and so let's just let it play out and so that's what he says next verse he says therefore in the present case i advise you leave these men alone let them go for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. Rome's going to take care of it. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Look, we all know that this is just another movement. Let it play out. But in the very slight possibility, the chance that, it is, that God is involved, what you do is not going to stop it. You are going to have to let this thing play out. And let's just see what happens. And so here's what they decide to do. Instead of stopping the movement, says that his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and, and I want you to notice this, had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Now we might quickly pass over this and go, okay, they got a little slap in the hand, but that if you've ever seen the movie Passion of Christ, you've got a little bit of insight into what happens here. Is when they are flogged, they are stripped naked, they are tied to a pole, and then they are whipped with leather whips that are often embedded with glass and bone and metal. And so each time that they would be whipped, it would take a piece of their flesh. Sometimes it would, it would take the muscle with it. And this is something that has been known to kill people. And so they experienced not only the incredible physical pain, but the emotional pain that went along with it because they watched each one of their friends experience it in front of them. And even when it's all done, if they did survive, they would have to go the rest of their lives bearing these scars. Everyone would know they're a criminal, that they're an outlaw. But you know what their reaction to this was? And this is kind of the point of the story. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. What? <coughs> rejoicing. So, so the promise was that with Jesus' arrival, people are going to experience this great joy. And here is the great joy. They've been flogged and they're rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about things that bring me joy, that's not on the list. I look at that and I go, either I don't understand joy or this is a different kind of joy. This is a different category. This is a different level of joy. And so I began to do some research because I need to know more about this joy that they're experiencing. And all the way back to Aristotle, people have been discussing what it looks like to be a person who has joy. And there's different levels of joy. And so I kind of made up, according to a lot of them are saying, I boiled it down to a way that I can understand it. So here's the different levels of joy. First level is pleasure. And this is the joy that we're probably most familiar with. It meets some sort of immediate need. We get instant gratification. Oftentimes we, it's, a, it's a physical pleasure. And so if you think about your favorite meal, going to a restaurant... You take that bite, it's, ooh, there's joy there. I'll be honest, last night, um, uh, Saturday night service, I got done with my sermon and I walked down and I said, babe, I'm not sure I know how to do this. This did not go well here. I don't, and she goes, you know what, babe, it's okay. I'm gonna get you in and out right now, okay? And so she brought me home in and out and that made me feel a little bit of joy. And so we know how this joy works is it's 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 our food. Maybe it's the touch, the kiss of a loved one. My mom growing up, what she would do is she had retail therapy. When she was feeling down, what would bring her joy is Nordstrom's. I I was hoping it was us as her children, but it wasn't. It was Nordstrom's. The problem with this joy is that it is short-lived. It is instant gratification, but it doesn't last very long. No one has ever walked away from a meal going, I never have to eat again. That was the one. That was the meal. I am eternally fulfilled. No, no one, no one does that. Not even the kiss of a spouse. You go, you never have to kiss me again. Now, we've sometimes thought, I never want you to kiss me again, but it's never been so good that we just go, that's it. I'm, I'm fulfilled. <laughs> no, it's good. It's instant, but it's not lasting. So then we go to the second level, and this level I call passion. And this is really about gratifying your ego's desires. And it sounds negative, but it's not necessarily a negative thing. It is about accomplishing. It's about winning. It's about succeeding. It's about the pursuing your career and getting a promotion. It's about graduating. It's about a hobby, a project, education, meeting goals. All of us have had those moments in which we won the game, we got the promotion, we finally passed, and we feel a sense of joy. The problem with this one is it's also short-lived. Because you know what happens when you finally reach the top of that mountain? There's just another mountain. There's just another one that you have to climb. Or even worse, you get to the top of the mountain, there's already a bunch of people there, and you go, oh, I guess I'm behind. And so you don't experience the kind of joy that you were hoping for. It's good, but it's short. Jim Carrey has a great quote. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer says it's fine you climb the mountain but guess what when you get there there's not much at the top a little bit of joy maybe some joy along the way but it doesn't last so then you go a little deeper level three joy is about people and purpose and so it's in those relationships with friends and family that we start to become a part of something that's bigger than ourselves maybe it's by serving other people we experience meaning Or maybe it's just by loving others that we can experience something that is beyond us. These two are all about us, but this one starts to become about other people. And what's interesting about this third level is it actually is often in conflict with the first one. Like parents, we know this to be true. Have you ever woken up with a newborn and going, you know, I'm not experiencing a whole lot of pleasure at three in the morning. I would rather be in bed, but I am experiencing joy. There is this deep sense of joy and satisfaction in this moment. It even allows us to look past some of the pain because of the joy. Moms, you guys have this ability to do something miraculous to bring a, a person into the world. But what is even crazier is when you are bringing this person into the world, I don't think anyone's described it as something pleasurable. No. No. But they would describe it as joyful, especially as that child arrives and you get to hold them for the first time. You would go, yeah, there's, there's joy here. So much joy that it actually allows me to look past the pain that I'm experiencing. The problem with this one is it's, it's finite. It's based on circumstances. Especially when we're talking about people. Is If you are finding all your joy in your relationships, which is not a bad thing, but we have to realize... It is something that can be taken away in a moment's time. We may lose that loved one. And what happens when we lose the person that was the source of our joy? We've lost all of our joy. In fact, it's even worse than that. We're devastated. And so this joy is deep and it's longer lasting, but it's still not it. And then we get to this final one. This level four perfection. Perfection. And this goal is to satisfy your deepest desires. And you may ask, well, what are my deepest desires? And philosophers have been talking about this forever. And they identify things like love and truth and beauty and goodness. Those are the things that are lying underneath all the other things that we pursue. And so think about the things that we we try to pursue and accomplish in our world. It's usually aimed at trying to fulfill one of those desires. So the desire for love. Well, that one's pretty obvious. All of us are seeking love. We do it in our marriages and in our friendships, within our different relationships, is we're looking for fulfillment through love or the desire for truth. All of us want to know what is real, what is true. It's why we do science and philosophy and biology and all of these things. It's all about trying to figure out what is true about ourselves and about the world and even beauty Look at art, architecture, fashion. All of those things are in pursuit of fulfilling this desire we have for beauty. But here's the problem. No matter what we try to do to fulfill those desires, we never fully get there. We never fully experience truth or beauty or goodness. It seems to just be beyond our reach, no matter how hard we try. Many have come to the conclusion, and I would be one of them, that says, I don't think it exists in this world I don't think there is perfection in this world, and I desire it. And so either my desires are off, or it's got to be outside of this world. There's got to be something beyond this, something that transcends this, that, that is the source of all this beauty and truth and goodness. And that's, I think, a signpost that God is the one that we're looking for. And some of us, we've experienced moments of this, this deep sense of joy. And you know you've experienced it because you almost come in contact with God. It means it's a moment of prayer or worship despite what's happening in the world or in your life. You're just at peace. You feel safe and secure. It's like you've, you've met perfection for just a moment and you experience the deeper joy than you've ever experienced before. That's what that level four looks like. So as I was researching joy... I realized something, that as you work through these levels of joy and they get deeper and they get longer lasting, they become more costly. Like if you want a deeper joy, the deeper the joy, the more it's going to cost you something. So if you want to move beyond just that surface level joy, the instant gratification, you're going to have to start looking not inward, but outward. Which is totally the opposite of what we've been told as a culture. See, every culture has what uh, Tim Keller says is a joy myth. And the joy myth is a story that we tell ourselves of here is how you can have the happiest life. And you know what our joy myth is? If you look within yourself, you're going to experience the most joy. Look in and find out what your wants and your desires are. What your career, how you're going to find and experience pleasure. Everything is about you. And the more you look inward, the more joy you can experience. And yet, if this is true, we've been told the exact opposite of where joy is found. Joy is not found by looking within and serving my own desires. It's actually by looking out and serving others. And the more joy I want to experience, the more I have to give myself away in the process. We go back to that original verse in uh, Luke. The angel says that this good news is going to bring great joy. And so I did a little word search on it. And in the original Hebrew, this word great actually means megas or mega joy. And I don't know why the translators decided on great. Maybe mega was a little bit too, you know, transformer-like. I don't know. Like mega joy new, coming out this year. No, but mega joy. But I like it. I think it kind of speaks to something there is the angel says that there is going to be this level four level joy. It's, it's a mega joy. It's a perfect joy. And then Jesus comes along and he says, and if you want to experience that mega joy, it's going to be through knowing me. It's going to be by coming into relationship. So the closer you get to me, I am the source of all joy. And so the closer you get to me, the more joy that you're going to experience. And so when we hear Jesus talk about all these things like, hey, don't pursue money, power, and sex. We think, well, he's just trying to limit my joy. What he's actually trying to do is he's trying to get you to experience a greater, not lesser joy. Because if he is the source of joy and he says those things are going to pull you away from me, then if you, if you would just deny those things and sacrifice those things, you're going to experience a greater joy than if you had pursued them. So here's the irony. Jesus comes along and he says, it's not that you've pursued too much joy, but too little joy. C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this. Here's what he says He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. It's not that we pursue too much joy. It's not that we're pursuing too much happiness. It's that we're not pursuing enough. We're, we're sticking with those internal selfish joys when there is an infinite joy that is on offer. We have traded the mega joy for the momentary joy. So here's the question. How do we experience this kind of joy? How do we experience it? Well, first thing we have to do is we've got to choose joy. We have to choose joy, which almost sounds a little bit strange because the way most of us view our feelings is it's something that happens to us. And I will admit that our default position is not joy. I think we're hardwired to look and find threats everywhere that we go, and that's why we like negative news instead of positive or good news, is because we're looking for threats everywhere. And so our default position is not joy, but fear. But we can choose it. We can decide to live another way. We can say, you know what, even though it's not my default position, I'm going to live a life where I consistently are looking for the good. I am looking for the joy. I am reflecting on those things. I live in such a way that it helps me gravitate and see those things that I may have missed. And we have to begin to practice gratitude and celebration. When the disciples are walking away from being flogged, they had every right to be angry and bitter and maybe even give up on their faith. This is, what, this is the great joy. This is the mega joy that you promised me, Jesus. I think I'm good. But yet they didn't. They walked away in gratitude and celebration going, can you believe it? We got to suffer for the Messiah. They chose It's the same scenario. They just chose to be grateful and celebrate it. And I think this is true of everybody, is everybody is going to go through difficult seasons. It's just a part of life. And you can come out one of two ways. As you come out of that season and things start to ease up, I've noticed that people either come out hard and cynical. Life sucks. I don't understand any of this. I give up. I don't like people. You can be hard. Or you can come out and you can be humbled. You can be grateful ironically some of the most grateful people that I know are the people who have gone through the most difficult seasons in life it's like they come out of it and they just go I'm so happy to be alive man I didn't know if I was going to make it I'm so happy to have that loved one still here with me I, I just get to have another day with them Somehow that the deeper the sorrow, if we allow it, the more joy that we're going to experience. And maybe that's why God allows us to experience difficulties is because it's a way for us to experience more joy. Maybe you've had this happen or maybe you've seen this happen is you get back a test and it says that you're in remission. Have you ever experienced more joy than that? Or maybe the prodigal who you've been praying for that has just caused so much heartache in your life comes home you ever had more joy than that? Maybe you've just been trying to find work and you've been just trying to provide for your family and finally you get this job. Have you ever experienced more joy than that? That's the weird thing about joy is oftentimes we experience joy after sorrow. And so here's a question I have. Do you believe that your life is a miracle? Like, I would say if you asked me that, yes, I believe it's a miracle, it's crazy that I exist, oh my goodness, and then I would walk out of here, and then I would be angry that the world is not operating the way that Cody wants it to operate. I would act as if I'm entitled to some sort of life. And if you're being honest, that's you too, is you go through life most of the time feeling entitled. And you know what entitlement produces? Apathy and anger. Because if you don't get things that you think you deserve, you're going to be angry about it. And even if you do get the things you think you deserve, you're going to be apathetic because I deserved it. But if you walk out and you go, I deserve nothing. I don't even deserve being alive today, let alone all the good gifts that God has given me. You're going to walk through life going, isn't this amazing? And you know what happens? You start to become joyful. Let me give you a silly example. This morning, I got up and I turned on the shower and you know what happened? Hot water came out. Yeah, hot water. I just went like this in hot water, just poured out. You're not impressed. You know why you're not impressed? Because I wasn't impressed either. Because I'm entitled to hot water. I paid for the hot water heater. I pay my bill every month. That water is mine. And if I didn't have it, I'd be angry because I'm entitled to it. But a few years ago, we had a ministry partner who moved to India about 50 years ago. She's been there ever since. And you know what she doesn't have? running water let alone hot water and so when she came and visited the highlight of her trip was she took a hot bath for the first time she was full of joy why well because she didn't feel like she was entitled she just thought this is incredible hot water hot running water for me that's amazing do you see that just the simplest things If we look at them, not that we're entitled, but we're grateful for them, can completely change our level of joy? Or let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God loves you? If so, why? If I were to ask the average American, they may say, I think God loves me. And then they would begin to list off, here's all the reasons why God loves me, because I'm a good person, because I do these things, because I take care of these people. And what they're doing is they're listing all the reasons why they're entitled to God's love. But you know what the Christian says? We go, yeah, God loves me, and I don't understand it at all. I know me, and he knows me better than me. My spouse hardly loves me most of the time. How can a perfect God love me? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, that God would love me? It's ridiculous, but he does. And it's not because of what I've done. It's because of what Jesus did for me. Isn't that amazing? See, when it is about what you're entitled to, the best case is you're indifferent at the end of the day. But when you believe everything is a gift, and you're grateful for it, it produces joy. The other thing we have to do is we have to just give our lives away. So remember the list. The deeper the joy and the longer lasting the joy, the more of yourself you have to give away. And so it would make sense, what is the deepest type of joy, the most long-lasting kind of joy going to cost you? Everything. Which is why when Jesus comes along, he says, hey, um, if you want to find your life, you have to lose your life for my sake. He goes, if you want to experience this deep level joy, this lasting, not even just for the moment, but an eternity kind of joy, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to give your life to me. Every arena of it, when it comes to your money, your body, your time, your talent, everything now is mine. And you know what you're going to experience? You're going to experience joy. Here's what he says in John 15. He says, if you keep my commands, so whatever I ask, the answer is yes. Yes. When it comes to any arena of your life, the answer is always yes. You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, listen to this. I have told you this so that my joy, what kind of joy does Jesus have? Perfect joy. In fact, he is the center, the source of all joy. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's that perfect joy. And so he says, part of finding that joy is faithfulness. Continue to be faithful to me and I'll be faithful to you. Because what's going to happen is, as you are faithful to me, we are going to grow closer together. And that means you're going to get closer to the source of all joy. And then finally, we have to pass it on. At the end of that Luke verse that we were talking through, I didn't highlight this part, but I want to highlight it really quick. If you go back to Luke 2.10, talks about the angel, and it's going to be good news, and it's going to be great joy, but don't miss this part. It's for all the people. It's not just for the good people. It's not just for the religious people. It's just for the people who got it all figured out. No, no, no. This is a message that is for all the people. And so what does Jesus want? Jesus wants this good news to be proclaimed to all the people, which makes sense because this is what we do when we, we experience joy. I mean, think about it. Let's say you go to a new restaurant. Or you're watching a new TV show and you're just amped on it. What are you gonna do? Share it. Oh, dude, you got to try this. place, you got to watch the show. It's amazing. Because here's what happens: is when we experience joy, our natural disposition is to pass that on and let other people enjoy it. But then this is what happens. But then it increases our joy. And that's what Jesus wants for us. He goes, I want to be the source of joy. I want you to know me. And then as you pass on this joy to others, you're going to get to continue to increase the joy that you're experiencing in me. And so here's the bottom line. Those of you who are asleep or on your phones, give me 30 seconds. Okay. This is the part of the sermon where I summarize everything. You can tell, you know, you're, whoever dragged you, I was listening because I got this point. All right. Here it is. Here it is. Joy comes through knowing and making him known. So simple. Get so hard to do is this is where we can experience that level four perfect joy. It's by knowing him and by making him known. So two very obvious questions. The first question is, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Here's what I love about Christmas. It is all of life in just a few weeks. And what I mean by this is you get to see where people believe their joy is going to be found and you get to see the result of it. So for some, it's about gratifying those immediate desires. It's about parties, lots of food, lots of drinks, lots of shopping. It's about meeting those immediate desires. And by the end of it, you know what happens? It's over. And maybe if you went overboard, you got a little regret. Or a couple extra LBs. I might be in that boat. For some, it's about family and friends. It's really seeking that deeper, more lasting joy of being with community, being with loved ones, traveling distances, so you can experience that relational connection. But you know, that also fades. I think it's deeper, I think it's more lasting, but I think eventually it goes away. And I think this is a great picture of how people live their lives, is they pursue those lesser joys, but at the end of the day, at the end of life, what do you got? It goes away, it fades. And so I ask, don't you want a deeper joy? Don't you want a joy that's lasting more than just Christmas, even more than a lifetime? Don't you want something that lasts for eternity? Because that's the kind of joy, that's the perfect joy that I'm seeking. It's that mega joy. And at Christmas, Jesus comes and he says, you can have it. It can be yours. All you have to do is say yes. Perfect joy has come in a person and he wants a relationship with us. It's on offer if we'll simply say yes to him. Here's the second question. Are you making him known? The end of the, the story for the apostles in Acts 5 ends like this. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching or proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Say so they, they knew where their source of joy was. But they also knew that they could increase that joy by making him known. And I shared a couple weeks ago that there is something that is changing within our culture. I can feel a shift that's taking place. And what's happening is, not that people are dissatisfied with life and what's happening in the world, because that's pretty regular. We all feel that. But here's, I think I've identified what's happening. Is people know that there is something wrong with the world. We've been going in the wrong direction. And here's the new part. And we can't fix it. I think we've lost the optimism that we can fix what's broken in the world. I think people are starting to look around and go, well, they're not going to fix it. They're not going to fix it. They're not going to fix it. Who's going to fix this? And they're more open to spiritual things than ever before. They're going, okay, i got to look elsewhere. Because all the places that I thought were going to fix it are failing. And so people are starting to look to Jesus. And especially during these few weeks in which we live in a place that celebrates Christmas, that the story of Jesus is everywhere. And so we're in a season of life in which people are open to it. And we're in a season of the year in which people are open to it. And so here's what I'm trying to say is don't miss this opportunity to make him known. Is we have for the next couple of weeks an incredible, it's not going to stop there, but just there's a window here. And we, we get to have these maybe spiritual conversations with some people. As we're having dinner and we're talking about life, we go, hey, you know what's really helped me with that? Ah, when I came to know Jesus. Or maybe you just go big and you go, can I just, can we just be honest with one another and just talk about some of the big questions? Or maybe it's just a simple invitation. Hey, I go to this church. I'd love for you to join me in one of the Christmas services. And they might actually say yes. And so I started with this question. The question I started with was this. What do you want for Christmas? I think the answer is joy. But here's the follow-up question. Do you want, like, joy? You know, like you've experienced. Probably past Christmases, or do you want mega joy this Christmas? Afra, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for the season in which we get to celebrate. Not just that we are, are, are experiencing joy and all the good things that you've put into our lives, because those are good things and they are sources of joy. But ultimately, we have found mega joy. A joy that lasts beyond the season, even lasts beyond a lifetime. And so, Lord, let us be people who are full of joy and we go out into the world and people sense that there is something different about us and that you would give us the opportunity to tell them why. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings or you can always join us live online at ccoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.